Amen. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, Lord, we praise you for being a good God, for being a God that loves us so lavishly, displayed by the death of your son, Jesus, and that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us, to create the way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to you and made right with you so that we could live not in fear, but with hope and with joy and with peace here on this earth and for eternity. And we pray, Lord, as we turn to your word now in a few moments, uh, may we continue to worship you, become more in awe of who you are, and become more like you. And Father, we pray for this offering that we're about to take. We pray, Lord, that you would use it in a mighty way to take the gospel of Jesus Christ further, deeper into this community, into our state, into our country, into the world, so that you may receive the glory that you are worthy of. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, good morning this, this morning. Um, my name is Shane Drury. I have uh, the privilege of bringing the word of God to you. Um, I'm the high school pastor here at Baylife Church. And uh, as you maybe heard last week, Pastor Mark is uh, out this week. And, and uh, next week, as he is in India um, with Ricky Fisher, our missions coordinator, um, doing some mission work there. And so I'm blessed to have the privilege to share the word of God with you this morning. The summer is upon us. And I don't know about you, but one thing I associate summer with is road trips. Um, there's just something great about getting on the road, getting away, maybe going to a new place that you've never been to before. Um, and... Um, if our ushers could come forward to take the offering. They already did? Okay. I was being flashed on the screen, you forgot the offering. Which I did do last service, okay? So I am guilty of that. So the ushers have come forward. We're good there? Okay. Praise the Lord. As I was saying, um, there's something about getting on the road and getting away. But oftentimes when we go on road trips, we face obstacles along the way as well. Um, I have a very memorable road trip that, that I took. It was the summer after my junior year of college. Uh, my wife and I began dating at the end of our junior year of college. And then the summer came just a few months after we started dating. And at the beginning of the summer, um, I went to China on a month-long mission trip. And uh, for that month, we had absolutely no communication at all. It was a different world back then. Uh, we didn't communicate as easily to other places. And that was difficult. But then right as I was about to get back home, um, she left for a month to go to Singapore to stay with her parents who were missionaries there. So for basically two straight months, um, we were unable to communicate with each other. And, and that was very challenging. And then she returned home from Singapore um, to Missouri, where she was staying for the summer. I was up in Illinois where I was living. We were about seven hours apart, and I desperately wanted to road trip down and see her, 
But I was working kind of this nine to five job and, and couldn't get, really get away. And so she got in her car when she got back to Missouri and she made the seven hour trip up and kind of surprised me and stayed with my family and I for a few days. And it was awesome. We got to hang out and really enjoy that time together. But after a few days, uh, it was time for her to get back to Missouri for her to start her summer job. And you can imagine she, she didn't want to go and um, I didn't want her to go. I, I wanted to go with her. Um, but I had to work the next day at like 8 o'clock in the morning. And so um, she stayed as late as she could, and about 5 o'clock rolled around, and I started to walk her out to her car. And as you can imagine, it was kind of a sad scene a little bit. We were sad to say goodbye after we'd been apart for so long and just spent a few days together. Um, and she goes to get in her car, and she's just about to pull away. And then it, it, it's just like a scene in a movie. I say, stop right there. I'm going with you. And so we developed this crazy plan that she's going to drive in her car seven hours, and I'm going to drive in my car seven hours and follow her down to Missouri, and then we're going to get there and be able to hang out for probably like an hour with her and her roommates, and then I'm going to have to turn around and drive seven hours all the way back to Illinois through the night so I can be at work at eight o'clock the next morning. Things you do for love, right? And so this was the plan that we developed. And although I would have been fully content to follow behind her in my car and just look at the beauty of the back of her head, right? Um, we thought, man, it would be great if there were some way that we could communicate for those seven hours. Well, the answer is very obvious today to our high school students, right? And those younger than that, well, you just grab your cell phone and you talk on your phone for those seven hours. But this was pre-cell phone era for us, 1999. So we're thinking to ourselves, how in the world can we communicate for those seven hours? And that's when I remembered that we had these bad boys at my house. Yes, here they are, right here. These headphone walkie-talkies. And so my wife and I both put these on in our own individual cars as such. And as long as we stayed within a hundred yards from each other, <laughs> we could communicate, which we did for seven straight hours. And you can imagine it was awesome. I, I was out in front in my car and I was looking in my rear view mirror and I could see my wife wearing these and she was looking good in them, I can tell you that, all right? And then a car would pull up next to her and look over at her and kind of give her a weird look like, what is she wearing? And then they'd pull up next to me and I'd be wearing them too, right? And I'd be like, hey. And people would just shake their heads and continue on. And so for seven hours, we wore the headphones, we talked, we enjoyed that conversation. And then we got to Missouri and indeed we hung out for about an hour with her and her roommates. I got in my car um, and, and began to make the seven-hour trek back to Illinois. And it was seven of the longest hours of my life, just trying to stay awake, trying to stay alert. I'm doing the whole thing where I've rolled my window down, and I've got Celine Dion on the radio singing as loud as I can with her, right? The Titanic song, My Heart Will Go On, just trying to stay awake. 1999 here we're talking, right? Finally, I get home, and I've got like 30 minutes to get ready to go to work. Nobody's home in my house. I'm kind of running around trying to multitask, do several things at once. So I go to my freezer, and I grab some breakfast out. I throw up my toaster, and then I go run and get in the shower to take a shower real quick. And while I'm in the shower, I start hearing this strange beeping noise. And I'm like, what is that? I'm home alone. What could that be? 
And then I realize it's the smoke alarm. And then it hits me, my breakfast in the toaster, right? So I grab my towel, I throw it around me, I run into my kitchen, and, and I run to the kitchen, and what I see are these like three-foot flames shooting out the top of my toaster, beginning to catch the bottom of our kitchen cabinets on fire. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm about to set my whole house on fire. What do I do to put this fire out? So I turn to the sink to get water to throw on the toaster, Right? No, it hits me before I do. I, I remember what I learned in third grade, right? Water, electric fire, bad. And so I stopped myself from doing that. I'm like, how am I going to put this fire out? Is it starting to get ready to catch my, my whole kitchen on fire? And then I thought, I'll smother it. But what am I going to smother the fire with? My towel, right? So I grab my towel and I throw it on top of the toaster to put the fire out. And the flames start to go down, down, down. And I start to be relieved. And then the fire comes roaring back and catches my towel on fire. And the fire begins to get bigger. And I just have no idea how to put this thing out. And then I remember that we have a fire extinguisher in our house. And I go and get it. And I pull the pin. And I push the lever. And I spray the fire out. And the fire went away. And I was able to get to work close to on time after that. Right? Hey, it was crazy, but we were crazy in love, and it was worth all the obstacles I had to overcome along the way. This morning, we're going to start a new series here at Bay Life Church called On the Road, going through, continuing through the book of Acts as we have the last few summers here at Bay Life Church. And largely, what we're going to see and follow is the Apostle Paul and the road trip that he took and the obstacles that he continually faced as he got on the road to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world because of his crazy love for God and because of his crazy love for people. And really our hope for this series here at Bay Life is that we would all see not only our need but our privilege to also get on the road and take the good news of Jesus Christ um, to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers, and to people all throughout the Brandon area. And so, as I said, we're going to be walking through uh, a portion of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is, is kind of a unique book. It was written by Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, and it gives us a detailed eyewitness historical account of the birth of the early church, um, as well as the early spread of Christianity. And again, a large portion of the book of Acts follows the Apostle Paul, who was formerly named Saul, who was formerly a persecutor of Christianity and a persecutor of the Christian church. Until in Acts chapter 9, he has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And then he gets out on the road, and he goes on these three different missionary journeys to help plant churches and spread Christianity throughout Asia and throughout Europe. And so today, we're going to pick up in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey which is kind of where we left off last summer. And that can be found in Acts chapter 18. 
Acts chapter 18. So if you have your Bible and want to turn with me and follow uh, with me this morning, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to track through some of this passage. Um, As I said, this is the the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. Um, This journey started around 49 A.D., And um, as we're jumping into the middle of the journey, what Paul has previously done on this missionary journey is he has revisited some of the churches that he had previously planted in Asia, and then he moved on to Europe for the first time, and he planted churches in places like Philippi, in places like Thessalonica. Um, Right before Acts chapter 18, where we're jumping in today, we see that uh, Paul is in Athens in Acts chapter 17. And he takes the gospel there uh, for the first time. And as he he shares the word of God there, uh, the gospel is received with very um, mediocre effectiveness. And that kind of takes us to Acts chapter 18. And really our one and and main point um, that I hope we see today directly from the word of God, which we'll get to in a few moments, is that uh, we are to keep on speaking and not be silent and not be afraid, knowing that God is with us. So, Acts chapter 18, verse 1, read along with me. This is what it says. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Well, after what? Uh, After he was just preaching in Athens, um, he left there and he went to Corinth. This was about a 50-mile journey for Paul, and it was a journey that he uncharacteristically made alone. Usually, he had partners or companions in the gospel that would travel with him. But this time, he travels alone, and he travels uh, to Corinth. And what we see from a passage that Paul writes later after he had visited Corinth, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells them that when he came to them, when he came to them this first time that we're going to be reading about today, When he came to them, he was full of fear and weakness and trembling. Now, those are are not words that we uh, usually associate or or think about when we think about uh, the Apostle Paul that God did such mighty works through throughout the New Testament. But that's exactly what he says. He came to them full of fear and weakness and trembling. And he doesn't exactly say why, but I think um, we can find a few reasons and and discover a few reasons uh, when we think about the city of of Corinth and some of Paul's past experiences. Uh, The city of Corinth was a very influential city in the world. It had a population of approximately 500,000 people, which made it the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a center of commerce and trade. It had trade routes in all directions. It had two port cities. So it was a, a very influential, big, important city. It's also been well documented that Corinth was a very immoral city. Um, it, it was the home of the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And each and every night, uh, a thousand female prostitute slaves serving Aphrodite would descend from the temple into the city looking for work. And so as a result of the immorality uh, that was so, so rampant in, in Corinth, uh, this, this slang term was created throughout the Roman Empire, uh, which was to Corinthianize, which basically meant to participate in illicit sexual uh, behavior or activity. And so it was a very, um, it was a, a very intimidating place. 
And so certainly that had some level to do with Paul's fear and, and trembling um, and his weakness was he knew that he was going to a place where people were in such overt, unashamed, blatant sin. I think another reason he was probably uh, full of, of fear and trembling and weakness is because, as I said, he was making this journey uh, to this overwhelming city alone. And he was about to partake on this mission and this journey to share the good news alone, um, knowing that he would probably face much opposition. And then thirdly, and tied to that, certainly fresh on the mind of Paul, um, was the beating and the stoning that he received not too long ago when he was in Philippi that nearly cost him his life, um, followed by facing um, riotous crowds in places like Philippi, places like Berea, and the opposition that he faced there. And then followed by his time in Athens, where he was mocked, where he was insulted um, as he shared the good news with the people there. And so certainly these uh, things were, were on his mind, and they, they filled his heart with, with fear and with weakness and trembling as he anticipated the likely opposition that he was to face there. Um, that takes us to verse 2, and the provision of the Lord in the midst of his fear. This is what it says. It says, and he, he being Paul, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So what we see happening here is the text says um, that Paul finds two companions. And I think we can without a doubt say that God in his sovereignty provided him um, with these two companions as well. Their names are Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, they are a married couple. And not only do they share the same faith as Paul, they share the same trade as well. They're all tent makers. And so Paul uh, stays with and works with Priscilla and Aquila. And we see later on in the book of Acts, Paul calls them um, his dear partners in the gospel who willingly risked their lives on his behalf. So I can't imagine um, how encouraging and how uplifting it was for Paul to find these friends to help encourage him uh, on the mission that God had set before him. And I don't think we can underestimate the value of having Christian brothers and sisters to come alongside us in, in this journey of Christianity, to help support us and encourage us and exhort us and admonish us um, as we walk through this life seeking to follow Christ and seeking to carry out the mission that he has called us to, especially when we find ourselves struggling, as the Apostle Paul did here. It makes me think about uh, a time in my own life um, when I was really struggling, when I uh, really hit a low point, and uh, I was not feeling well, I had a variety of health issues um, for quite a while, and was kind of being bounced around to some different doctors um, without a lot of answers, and then I finally made it to one particular specialist um, who shared with me that she had a great concern um, that I had a terminal illness, and uh, I got to be honest with you, um, it filled me with fear. It filled me with trembling. It filled me uh, with weakness. 
just the thought of leaving my, my little children behind without their father. And maybe when I was at one of my lowest points, I got a phone call um, from one of my best friends. His name is Jason. He lived about three hours from me uh, at the time. And he could tell within the first few minutes of our conversation that I was not doing well. And he said to me without hesitation, I'm packing my bag right now. I'm getting in my car and I'm going to come stay with you tonight. And that's exactly what he did. And five minutes, he packed his bag, he got in his car, he drove the three hours, he came to my house, he picked me up, he took me to Buffalo Wild Wings, right? He cared for me, he listened to me, he encouraged me, he reminded me of the greatness of our God, Um, he reminded me of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And I can't tell you that uh, instantly everything was better, right? But he did help restore uh, my faith and my knowledge, and my hope of Christ Jesus, and and help me get back on track um, on the mission of following the Lord. And thankfully, um, not too long after that, the doctor took that diagnosis uh, off the table, and I'm here with you today. But again, I just don't think we can underestimate the value of having brothers and sisters in our lives that can come alongside us and support us and encourage us. As Priscilla and Aquila did with Paul, as Jason did with me. And honestly, this is one of the main reasons why we have small groups here at Baylife Church. And it's one of the main reasons why we have ministries like the men's ministry and the women's ministry, so that we all together can develop these types of friendships and relationships to encourage one another and to spur one another on in the faith and on the mission that Christ has given to us. And so, uh, can, I, can I encourage you this morning, if you find yourself uh, in a place where you don't have many people in your life, like Priscilla or Aquila or Jason, would you maybe step out of your comfort zone and join a small group here at Bay Life? Uh, come to the women's ministry, come to the men's ministry. Hey, if you're watching online and you just watch online every week, um, can I encourage you to get out of your pajamas and come join us here at Baylife Church and, and have fellowship with us here um, and, and make friendships that can help support you and encourage you on the journey to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we see the Apostle Paul doing as he faces his fear in verse 4 of our text. It says, And he, he again being Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So again, Paul is a tent maker. Uh, Likely, most of the week, he's he's making tents to raise support for himself. Um, But then on the Sabbath, he breaks free and he focuses on the mission work that God has given him. And we can see that our text says that he goes to the Sabbath and he reasons with the Jews and the Greeks and he tries to persuade them. So we ask ourselves, well, what is he trying to persuade them of or persuade them to? I think we have our answer in verse five. This is what it says. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. I love this. So so Silas and Timothy, two very faithful companions in the gospel uh, with Paul, they return from their trip to Macedonia to meet Paul in Corinth. And they find him, and how they find him is 
occupied with the word. And it says that he's testifying or he, he's teaching or pleading with the Jews um, to persuade them that the Christ was Jesus. That's what he was seeking to persuade them of. That Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah and Savior that the Jews longed for. He was seeking to persuade them of this truth. And how was he doing that? Um, No doubt he was doing that by using his Bible. By taking the Old Testament and walking them through the prophecies of old. To show them how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies and indeed was the Messiah. Uh, powerful, powerful truth there. It reminds me of a story I heard one time of a pastor. He was having a, a, a gospel conversation with a man who was not a believer, who was pretty antagonistic towards the gospel. And who was saying things like, Jesus was just a man, Um, there's nothing special about the Bible, the Old Testament is nothing but a bunch of old fairy tales. And the pastor said, okay, I I hear your concerns, Um, would you be open to me reading you a few passages of scripture and then asking you a question? And the guy said, sure, why not? And so the pastor opens his Bible um, and he begins to read a few passages to him. And here are the few, just a few of the passages that he read. He read more than this, but here are just a few of them. One one was this. It says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Then he flipped in his Bible and he turned to another place. Didn't Didn't tell the man where he was turning to. And he read this passage. It says, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and glow over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. I think it's probably pretty obvious who that's talking about, right? He asked the man, "Um, who do you think these passages are talking about? And again, the answer is obvious. The answer is Jesus, right? It doesn't say Jesus' name anywhere in those passages, but we know right away when we hear those passages that it's talking about Jesus. And so he asks the man the question, and the man says, well, it's obviously talking about Jesus. And the pastor very gently and lovingly said, "Um, would you be interested to know that the words I just read to you were from the Old Testament, written a thousand plus years before Jesus was even born. And in God's sovereignty and in God's plan brought forth Jesus who fulfilled these prophecies just as the Old Testament described a thousand years ago. And the pastor said the man's face, his his jaw just kind of dropped and he could tell the word of God had impact on him and was beginning to persuade his heart. And so we must not forget the power of the word of God that we hold and its ability to persuade and impact people for the kingdom of God as we get out on the road this summer. Um, hey, you, you want to know what I think is, is one of the, the greatest things um, that we need to persuade people of uh, by the truth of God's word uh, in our day and age. Um, it's, it's a commonly held misbelief, not only amongst um, people outside of the church, but people in the church as well. 
Let me just ask you a question, and you can just kind of think silently in your mind how you would answer this question. It's a question you've maybe heard before in a church or at a retreat or something like that. It's just the question of, if you were to die today, it would stand before the holy God of the universe. And he were to say to you, why should I allow you into my kingdom? What would you say? How would you respond? Why should I allow you into my kingdom? And one of the, um, one of the, the, the biggest misconceptions of people throughout our country like I said, in the church and outside of the church, is that the answer to that question in some way, in some form or fashion, is that I need to be a good person, that I need to um, follow the rules to get into heaven, and that I would tell God, I've tried the best I can to be a good person. And can I just persuade you from the word of God this morning that that is so far from the truth, we see verses like Romans 3.10 that are so clear, which says that no one does good, not one. We see in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin are death. And so all sin and the wages or result of our sin is death. It's eternal separation from the blessing of God in hell. It's not, it's not heaven. And, and it's probably no, uh, nowhere more clear than Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, it is by grace that we are saved, through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast, but it is the free gift of God. And so if you're sitting here this morning, and when I asked you that question, if your mind in some way or form or fashion, you answered that question with at least part of your answer, um, with you tried to do the best you could, you, you tried to be good, you tried to follow God, you tried to honor uh, him with your life. Would you be persuaded by the word of God this morning to realize that our good works cannot get us to heaven? They cannot bring us forgiveness. It is only by grace, through faith, and the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. And so as we get out on the road this summer, um, may we persuade people from the word of God that we can never be good enough to get to heaven. As we continue on in our text here, in verse 6 through 10, we see that the Apostle Paul does indeed face the opposition that he feared. But the Lord has a great promise for him and a great word of truth to encourage him and to encourage us as well. This is what it says in verse 6. It says, and when they opposed and reviled him. So, so Paul is in the synagogue and he's trying to persuade them that Jesus was the Christ. But when they opposed, they being the Jews, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now this is a, a very similar pattern to what has taken place to all the other cities that Paul entered for the first time. Almost always, he initially goes to the synagogue and he preaches to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. They resist him. 
They rise up in opposition to him as just took place here. And then he leaves the Jews to take the word of God and the gospel to the Gentiles. That's exactly what Paul says, right? He uses a few colloquialisms here. And he says, um, he shook out his own garments and said, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. Basically saying, I have done my part that God has asked me to do to share the gospel with you. Um, Now it's on your head for you to respond to it. And it's your responsibility, not mine. And he says that he will take the word. He says, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what he does. He goes to this man, Titius Justice's house. Uh, The house is next to the synagogue, so in close proximity. And uh, the ruler of the synagogue puts his faith in Jesus Christ, him and his whole household. And him and, and many other Corinthians believe and are baptized. And as a result of that, Um, The Jews who just reviled him and opposed him, they begin to rise up in even more opposition against Paul. And this is the point that usually takes place if you look in in other um, examples and cities that Paul visits. The opposition rises, the riots begin, the crowds begin to rise up, and Paul's life uh, becomes in jeopardy. And it's at that point that he usually bounces. He gets out, he moves on to the next city. But But God has a different plan here for Paul. And we see in verse 9, the Lord speaks to Paul and gives a promise and a word of encouragement to him and to you and I as well. It says in verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be silent. Keep on speaking for I am with you. And he gives Paul the great promise that God has given to generation after generation after generation. We see over a hundred times throughout the word of God, he gives us this exact promise. Do not fear for I am with you. And the power in this promise is that the God that is with us is the holy, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, everlasting, wise, loving, gracious, merciful, sovereign God. He is with us. And if he is with us, and if he is for us, then who can be against us? And he tells Paul, do not fear the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Do not be silent. Keep on speaking. Allow my perfect love for you to drive out your fear, which is exactly what it says in 1 John. John says perfect love drives out fear. And so the fear that we have in our hearts becomes replaced with God's perfect love as we immerse ourselves in the truth and reality that the almighty God of the universe is with us, that he is good, that he knows, that he is sovereign, that he has a plan. And the fear and the weakness and the trembling that resides within us can be replaced with peace and joy and hope as we grasp this truth that this God is with us and that he is for us. And so Paul, he trusts in the promise of God. He obeys and we see that God is faithful to his promise uh, to keep him safe and that many would come to him. And that's what we see 
in verses 11 through 17 as we wrap up our passage here. It says, And he, again, he being Paul, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So rather than bouncing and getting out and moving on to the next city, he stays for 18 months teaching the word of God among them. The Jews do rise up against him, though, again, but God fulfills his promise. Verse 12, it says, But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of question about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. So what we see happening here is the Jews do rise up in further opposition just like they have in every other city and they attempt to have Paul arrested. They bring him before the tribunal and they say, Paul is doing something illegal. He's, he's teaching an unauthorized illegal religion in the Roman Empire. Uh, it's something different from Judaism. And the proconsul says, this is a matter of your law. Uh, you Jews, this is a matter of your law. This is not a matter of Roman law. So you all deal with this amongst yourselves. And he kind of kicks them out of there. And, and, and God in his sovereignty preserves uh, Paul and his ability to continue to proclaim the gospel throughout the Roman Empire and to continue to be on the road sharing the good news with people. And so um, let me just encourage you and uh, may the Lord encourage all of us uh, this summer, to get out on the road and to not be silent and to keep on speaking. And hey, you may say, look, I'm there. I see my need. I, I, I want to do that. I want to get on the road and proclaim the good news. But I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I don't really know exactly what to say or, or kind of how to say it. Well, can I, uh, just to kind of wrap us up here this morning, uh, hit you with kind of a, a simple tool, uh, a, a simple um, concise, clear way to help uh, you and I share the gospel as we get out on the road this summer uh, when these conversations come up or we engage in these types of conversations. Uh, it's great to have kind of uh, a tool in your pocket like this. So if someone does ask you, hey, how, how does a person go to heaven? Or what does the Bible teach? Or what is Christianity all about? That we have this kind of go-to biblical response and one way we're doing that with our students at Bay Life Church this summer as we're sending them out on mission trip teams is we've equipped them with this kind of tool or method that we call the gospel in eight words, all right? The whole uh, narrative of scripture kind of reduced down to eight words to easily memorize and easily walk someone through when these conversations emerge. And so I'm gonna say them to you um, I'm going to say them to you this morning, and then I'm going to ask that you repeat them after me, all right? Here's the first one. The first one is, um, God loves. Let's try that again. We ready? The first one is, God loves. There we go. The next one is, sin separates. Very good. The next one is, Jesus saves. And the last two are, we receive. 
And so when these conversations emerge, um, we can say to someone like, uh, really the whole story of the Bible can be summed up in eight words. The first two words are God loves. See, it says in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth. He created man. He created woman. And he said everything was good. And he, he, he loved people. Um, however, man and woman, rather than following God and obeying him, they rebelled and they went their own way. And sin entered into the world. And as a result of that, um, that takes us to our next two words, which is sin separates. Sin is anything that we think or say or do in opposition to God. And each and every person in this world sins at times and disobeys God. And because of our sin, we're separated from a holy God. And we need forgiveness. We need restoration. We need to be reconciled to God. But unfortunately, there's absolutely nothing we can do um, to make ourselves right with God. We can never be good enough on our own. Our sin separates us from him here on this earth and for eternity. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there, right? God in his great love for us. Um, this takes us to our next two words, which is Jesus saves. God in his great love for us, he sent his perfect son, Jesus, being fully man and fully God, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, uh, to die on the cross as a substitute and sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and conquering death, so that whoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that takes us to our next two words, which are we receive. See, it's not enough to just know this, right? It's not enough to just know that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. Um, we must receive the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. Uh, we must call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. In Romans 10.9, it says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, so we say that, that Jesus is Lord of all, and I want him to, to be my Lord, and we believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, um, we can be saved. And so each and every one of us has the opportunity to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. And you can continue on in the conversation and ask them if they've received the gift and talk with them and pray with them if they so desire. And so just a, a great tool um, for all of us to have and to put in the tool bolt uh, to be able to help people um, be persuaded by the word of God of their sin, their need for a savior, God's provision in Christ and his love for us and how we can receive that gift. And so just lastly, before we send you out here, um, I want to encourage you to get on the road in some practical ways this summer. So here, here's just a short list of how you could do that this summer. Um, one is by sharing the eight words with someone, just like I said. Another one would be by sharing your personal testimony with someone, a friend, a family, a, a family member, a parent of someone on your kid's team that you spend a lot of time with this summer. Um, you can say, hey, have I ever told you about the most important thing in my life? And just 
walk through your testimony and sharing the gospel in it as you do. Another way to get on the road is to walk next door and invite your neighbor to come with you on Sunday morning to Bay Life Church so they can hear the gospel proclaimed here. Hey, if you're a student, you can invite a friend um, to high school camp, to middle school camp this summer, and they can have the opportunity to hear the gospel this week. Um, also, if, you're, uh, uh, if, you, if you know people that have young children, you could invite them to uh, bring their, their child to Kittapalooza this week. Their children will get to hear the gospel all week. And then on Friday, we're having a big picnic where parents are invited, and so children and their parents will, will have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And hey, maybe if you're not quite there yet, um, maybe you could make the initial first step of walking next door this week and inviting one of your neighbors just over to your house for dessert this week, just to get to know them, uh, to begin the process of sharing the good news with them. And so we hope and pray that you would get on the road this summer, that you would not fear, that you would not be silent, that you would keep on speaking knowing that the Lord is with you. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful and thankful that you did not leave us without hope, that you created the way for us uh, to be restored to you through faith in Jesus. And Lord, I'm thankful for the many saints throughout the generations that have come before us and have continued to get on the road and share the good news. Each and every person here that is your follower um, likely had a person that was on the road sharing the gospel with them. Maybe a, a mother or a father, a sibling, a coworker, a friend. I pray, Lord, that we as a church here at Baylife would continue the cycle of generations that get out there and share the good news, that proclaim your greatness so this hopeless and dying world can see their sin, their, na- their need for a savior, and call upon you by your grace. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.